This is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. There's a revolution going on. Down the streets and sidewalks of many cities, people have been marching with a cry for justice, a cry for freedom, and the overthrow of oppressors. And in case you're rolling your eyes and being dismissive of what's going on, I want to draw your attention to one key thing. And that one key thing is this. We should not overlook that this is a real cry to the ones who are hurting, to the ones who are oppressed. There are plenty of people that are angry with the way that the world is, and they're crying out for change. And this isn't a new cry, but it may be one that your ears are picking up in a deeper way. I was involved in a local conversation here in Windsor. We're bordered with Detroit. And this conversation we had shortly after the death of George Floyd under the knee of Officer Derek Chauvin. Christopher Cobbler and I gathered together a mixed race panel, all of us pastors in the Windsor, Detroit area, to talk about the black-white divide. Because Windsor is a border city to Detroit, we likely have an enhanced perspective on America's history of oppression. Uh, It's slavery. Uh, Border cities are also part of the Underground Railroad where American slaves escaped. Harriet Tubman called Canada the promised land. And at that time, it was an escape from slavery's tyranny. Now that doesn't mean that Canada has not had its own struggles with racial tension. In fact, that's an unfortunate part of human nature that surfaces in every nation and in every generation. This is part two of that conversation that we had with Chris Cobbler, Nellie Latchman, Kellen Brooks, Josh Bowers, and myself. If you haven't heard part one, uh, why don't you uh, stop listening to this one, go back and first download and listen to part one of this conversation. Okay, now let's go right to our race talk, part two. First of all, I'll just say this as a caveat and then come right back. So, um, you know, we're known by what we're for and not what we're against. And I think that just because you're for something doesn't mean you're against something else. I I think people need to understand that just because you're for black lives mattering doesn't mean that you're against every police officer who wears a uniform, you know, like you're for people being treated fairly and you you are against injustice. And um, I I think there has to be that distinction, you know, like just because you're for something doesn't mean you're against other things. And with white privilege, I think, um, you have to, you have to be able to, to understand, like, that doesn't mean that, that you didn't work hard. It doesn't mean your parents didn't work hard. It doesn't mean that, you know, you didn't have a great mom and dad who gave you great values and, and earn what they got. That's not what it means. It just means that there are others who did not have the same advantages that you have had. And when you look at our city, for example, at Detroit, Um, you know, with COVID-19, there's not a better example. Like we have one of the highest percentages of fatality to infection rate in the country because it's almost 10%, I think. 
And it's because our city is majority, majority African-American. So like, you know, you go to some, you go to, I don't want to say Minneapolis right now, but you go to some like place where there's a lot of, you know, high percentage of Caucasian, you're not going to see nearly the same amount of fatality rate um, because there might be better access to education, better access to healthcare, you know, less, um, you know, just better living circumstances and, and housing and things like that. So being white privilege, it's not a slight against you. It doesn't mean like you haven't worked hard for what you've gotten. It just means that if, if, you know, like if we're playing football, American illustration, but you know, Canadians, I know like football too. Um, and we've got the lions. So pray for us. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, if, if somebody starts on the 50 yard line and like they only have to run 50 yards to get a touchdown that yeah, the touchdown's awesome. It's still six points, but we have to understand there's people who aren't starting on the 50 yard line. There's people who are starting on the 10 yard line. There's people who are starting on maybe the 20 yard line and they're going to have to go further to get where you've gotten because you just by nature and by the system have kind of that like starting advantage. Um, and so I don't know, those were some things that have helped me kind of see things uh, differently. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, when people say, uh, and that was, that was really great, Josh, thanks for that. Um, I think first, cause I'm not white. So uh, I think, understanding white privilege is you know I, I get I get it's difficult to hear people say that they are colorblind and I actually I, I learned this the hard way because when we when we started One Church Windsor um, we had a very diverse group and and our and our mantra was just we are one and so we immediately just you know started trying to uh, uh, you know just focus on what unites us and uh, you know and, and, and we started eliminating tradition right? So it's not about your tradition. It's not about your other tradition. It's about, it's about just focusing on Jesus. But what I actually realized is that when you eliminate a person's tradition, you eliminate their story, you know? And, and when you say you don't see my color, what you're saying is that you, you don't actually see the story that's attached to that, you know, that story that might be of oppression or, or, or of legacy or of woundedness or of reconciliation or of freedom or whatever. But um, if you can't see me, it means that you can't see my wounds. And if you can't see my wounds, then there can be absolutely no healing. Um, you know, I, I always think of uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 44, when, when, when Peter looked at that, that, that lame man, like the Bible says that he directed his gaze at him and then said, look at us. So like he saw him and all of his woundedness and all of his, you know, whatever, uh, and when people say like, I don't, I'm, I'm colorblind and, you know, there's only one race, the, you know, the human race, you, you're devaluing my story. You're, you're devaluing why I'm here. You're devaluing the struggle that my, my, my ancestors had. Um, and I think that that is a, a big problem. If we want to see healing, we have to see each other first. Absolutely. Yeah. When I think about, um, you know, white privilege and, you know, how to express that to someone about what that is. Uh, I think about as a kid going to the, the Crayola box, you know, when you had the 96 pack, you were doing big things. And so one of the colors in the box was flesh. Like, well, what color is flesh? Mm. And it was a lighter tan 
kind of yellowish type of color. I didn't think anything about it, but yeah, white, <laughs> white skinned, you know? Um, wow. Or, you know, a woman going to buy stockings and the color is nude. Wow. Well, it's like, well, who's nude? Because different shades and colors going on. Yes. Or Band-Aid, you know, like what color is a Band-Aid? Yeah. Or flesh tone. Well, who's flesh, you know? Good. And so I think in those ways, uh, showing them how white is normal. I went to Michigan State. Like nobody looks at Sparty and say Sparty's, Sparty's white. Like we don't even think about it. It's just like it's Sparty. But let Sparty come in there with slanted eyes. They're going to be like, something's wrong here, right? Because white is normalized. Um, and so I think those are uh, some ways to help people see their privilege or just, just to tell them, hey, here are the things that I have to think about when I go out. You know, I have to be cognizant of not wearing my hood if I have on a hoodie because people are going to associate that with something. Or if I'm walking and I see a woman, I'm thinking, let me go all the way around and let me inconvenience myself because I don't want them to think that I'm going to steal their purse. Or today, I was talking on the phone outside and I started laughing out loud and I'm thinking, man, if I was in a predominantly white neighborhood, somebody may call the police on me because I'm having too good of a time. Like when I tell those stories so that people could say, you know what, I don't have to think about that. I'm just like, hey, that's, that's white privilege. You don't have to think, you can just be. You could shoot up an entire church and get arrested alive. Or if I forward to check, I may get a knee in my neck. Like those stark pictures help show people hey, here are the ways in which you benefit because of your skin color. Man, Kellen, you hit the nail on the head. Like I, I, I was literally just having a conversation with a person and about this exact same thing. Um, and, 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 and the defense, and this person was a Caucasian person, you know, and, and the defense was, well, I have struggles too. You know, I grew up in poverty um, and, and different things like that. And, I, and, and it's just like, it's not that you didn't have struggles but it's just that the struggles didn't come from the color of your skin. Exactly. Mm. You know, like there is a difference in having a struggle because you grew up poor and there's a difference between having a struggle because you grew up with a, with something that you could not control. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement with you. Mm. Yeah. I'm not black. Uh, my family is Guyanese. We're from the Caribbean uh, and our ancestry is Indian. So West Indian. Um, and some of the comments that are, I guess, supposed to be compliments, um, but are definitely like received backhandedly. Um, once I was told, like I had a phone interview where I was talking to someone on, over the phone and then I had to meet them in person. And like, I was kind of just waiting for them in the waiting area. And they're like, oh, you're Nellie. And it, they had this kind of look that you didn't look like what I thought you would look like. Um, then there's another instance where basically, um, I was talking, I used to drive bus just kind of recently. Um, and I came off of, you know, the bus and another driver, he had heard me talking to my mom on the phone, um, or to one of my sisters. It was just like a right after work call. And he was like, Oh, you sound educated. Hmm. And like, I don't know 
exactly what I did in that moment, but I, I'm pretty sure I just shrugged it off and said thank you and didn't say what I wanted to have said um, because at the bus yard, they also knew I was a pastor. Um, and like just moment after moment of like, wow, you're so pretty for a dark girl or yeah. for a black girl. Um, yeah. When like, do I say in that moment, oh, I'm, I'm not black. Um, do, is it a moment for me to correct, for me to teach or just like accept it and keep walking? Um, so there's, there's stuff like that. Another, like, I think one of the most like PTSD inducing moments of, um, like my, my upbringing, my childhood, uh, I was in a Zellers with my mom and we were buying something after church. There was Zellers right across uh, the street from where we lived or where we went to church. Uh, we went to the church, uh, to the Zellers, uh, and there was uh, a white family, a man and, and wife and three kids. And I think we have to get like something in the bedding section. So these kids were pulling the pillows off of the aisles and jumping all over them, right? Yeah. Uh, and my mom says to the other mom, hey, aren't you going to stop them from doing that? Like other people have to buy those and sleep on them. Uh, and then she was like, okay, whatever. And kind of like, just walked over to the next aisle, didn't say anything to her kids. Uh, and then like my mom's still kind of like looking at them doing this. Uh, and then the husband comes around and he's like, oh, is there a problem here? And my mom explains what she sees and says, well, aren't you going to correct your children? Uh, and he went off. Um, I was about 12 years old. A lot happened when I was 12, I guess. Um, 12 years old he's going off of my mom and says something along the lines of like you people what are you doing here how are you to like who are you to tell my kids what to do in this place my family fought for this country do you want me to pull the papers out of my wallet I have them right here um and I just remember this rage like I've never felt rage just like swell up inside me but also like this um paralyzing you can't do anything about this moment my mom and I just like walked to another aisle and with tears in my mom's eyes and with like a quiver in her voice, she told another brown woman who worked at the Zellers, there are some people in that aisle and they're messing up the store. I think you should call the manager or something. And I don't think we finished our shopping, but we just left. And so now for me, anytime I'm in a place where correction can be given, my first thought is, are they going to tell me about how I don't belong here? And that is the privilege that I don't have because of the color of my skin. Thank you for that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, Nellie. And, uh, and, and that that's unfortunately um, a story that gets repeated over and over and over again. And uh, that's, that's why we're having this conversation because we have to learn a better way to treat people. Yeah. Uh, I, I think two more questions. So we're wrapping it up here. Um, but that's so powerful. Um, I think I'm glad that the, we as, we as a church can't be the church if we're unwilling to address all of the issues. Um, so I'm glad that we're talking about this. Someone wrote in and said, um, Sunday mornings have been recorded to be the most segregated time in the week in all of North America. Is there a cause to be addressed here? If so, what do we think are practical ways to integrate the body? And then someone wrote with a similar question, 
Uh, so I'll share that one as well. And it's churches are, are the most segregated places in North America. How can we make it inclusive and welcoming for all? Um, oh, I don't, I don't know if I, was I cutting you off, Kellen? Oh, no, no. I'm just thinking out loud, man. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, I'm like, man, what am I, what, what am I doing answering these questions? Do they know that they asked me to come on? <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, I think that, you know, like, I, I think that when our churches, I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily, um, like a, 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 you know, bad thing. I don't think it's, it's necessarily like, oh man, like there's a church with predominantly white people. Here's a church with predominantly black people. This is not how it should be. Um, well, and, but there are some instances, I think that it is sad that it's like that. And, and it, and it has a history of, of racism. Like, I mean, assemblies of God and Kojic is, is kind of a sad, uh, story, you know, and really there is a lot of, of history there that has like caused that rift. Um, and when I say it's not a, you know, necessarily a bad thing, what I'm saying is like, you know, people have just, they, they go to what they're used to, you know, like they go to where they feel comfortable and they're comfortable with a certain expression of church. And, um, but I do think that we need to work on, on um, being diverse in our, in our lives, you know, like just outside of, of church. Um, like your church is not going to be diverse if your dinner table is not diverse, you know, like, it's good your your life has to be uh bringing in people of different cultures different races and you know i think a lot of churches they maybe they mean well but they're like oh well if we just hire you know this person then we're gonna have these people you know it's like like i think that i saw an interview on uh race in the church with with pastor carl lentz and uh td jakes and one of the things that bishop jake said was um like, I don't want to be, you know, the guy who's like, oh, cool. Well, there's the, you know, there's the black preacher. Like, I just, I want to be your friend. Like, I just want to be your friend. And, and I think that if we are genuine in our connections and our relationships and our friendships, then um, that's what's going to make people feel valued and, and heard and understood. And, and then I do think that those people are going to bring other people that are like them and if that's a diverse, you know, like if you're white and your friend's bringing his black friends because now he trusts you and because he's like, this guy is for real and like we can get behind what he's doing, you know, like then your church kind of naturally takes a diverse look. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you spoke to the, you know, the, the race issue because I mean, what birthed the black church telling them they couldn't be a part of the white church, you know? Mm. Uh, so I, I think the race part is important um, to look at and then to understand too, <sighs> demographics play a huge role in uh, the makeup of a church. You know, I'm in a predominantly uh, black area. I mean, I'm in Inkster and my church borders Westland. So right across the street that it's predominantly white. So uh, I have a vision of integrating, um, but I know that my area is going to lean towards a particular demographic because of who's here. And I know my worship style as well. 
uh, it's going to lean in a certain direction. So the white people that attend my church um, have immersed themselves in black culture. And so, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're married to black people. So for them, it's just like, it's second nature. Um, I know that's not going to always be the case for everybody that comes. Some people are going to come for whatever the case is, but uh, I think that's, that's important to note that um, the segregation, so to speak, isn't entirely a bad thing. Um, I think what can be an issue is if you're integrated, but not authentic, um, which goes to what, you know, Joshua was saying earlier, um, you know, the authenticity is creating that atmosphere a diversity that, that he's experiencing. So for me, um, I'm not gonna throw away my blackness, my Pentecostalism, um, you know, my, my denominational history, uh, just for, for the sake of making people who aren't black feel comfortable at my church. I think there's other ways that I could be accommodating to cultures uh, so that things could be integrated. But hey, you be yourself and be real and kind of let God take care of that increase. And you could do intentional things, but at the end of the day, nobody wants to be a token in anybody's church. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I could go on and on about that, but those are just a few things that came to my mind, you know, as I hear that question. Yeah, I agree, uh, Kellen. Um, yeah. And I think, um, I think for me, I think that there is an issue to some degree, especially in Canada, I think that there is an issue of, of consumerism um, because I think consumerism, mm. you know, consumerism is about preference. It's about the individual. And so I think that, you know, we are most comfortable with people that share our story um, with our the people that share our background, um, you know, and so we, we, we want uniformity. We don't want unity. Mm. You know, we want, we want assimilation. Um, but I think that to some degree, we have to be able to be comfortable with our own voice. So like, I think that there is a a posture that tries to funnel out voices. And, and if I'm being real and authentic, that happened to me. Um, you know, and I, and I thought to myself, man, maybe I should just be sitting at a table and, and just teach, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and to some degree it was because I was, my influences were overwhelmingly outside of my demographic. Um, and it was actually a, 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 a white preacher, if I, if I can say that, I can say that, um, that, that told me, just be yourself. Like, just, just find your voice. And if I feel like hollering, I'm gonna holler. You know what I mean? Like, if I feel like, if I feel like, if I feel like preaching hard, like I'm not going to stifle who I am, um, but at the same time, I you know the the picture around my table is going to be diverse, right? The the my ear is going to be open to the other, and and I'm and, and this is the this is the purpose of spiritual disciplines. It is to dis is, is to disrupt our lives in such a way that the other can can appear on its own terms, you know, um, and, and and there's a psychological principle that says that when, when someone feels felt, they feel loved. So that li- like listening is actually virtually indistinguishable from loving well. Um, and so I think the, the posture, I think what people don't want, they don't want inauthentic. And I think that there is a generation that's rising up that's saying that's just fake, you know, that's just inor- inorganic. So I'm, I'm recognizing that people from a different race 
can come to a service and it can be high energy and it can be extremely charismatic or it can be uh, very conservative um, and they'll be able to recognize whether it's authentic or not. Um, and that will happen in times of community, that will happen in times of hospitality, that will happen when church is done, that will happen at the table, the table is a beautiful metaphor. Um, so instead of trying to uh, impose a narrative, we just have to open up our ears to hear and then be ourselves. And if everyone's being themselves, if we, if we understand before trying to be understood, that'll create a culture that I think that is less hostile towards the other. So good. I, I just watched this message from Tony Evans. Uh, yeah. And one of the, he was talking about Jesus with the woman at the well. There, and there's so much to pull from that passage about race issues. But, um, you know, she's a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew. Obviously, Samaritans Jews don't get along. There's like uh, very much racism from Jews to Samaritans. And it says when she comes to the well that she noticed that Jesus was a Jew. It doesn't say how. Maybe it was his accent or his clothing or, or something about him. But what he pulled from that was like Jesus didn't have to change who he was to reach the Samaritan. Right. Like she knew he was a Jew. And it was his authentic love for her and care for her and willing to have conversation with her that reached her. So um, you don't have to change who you are, I think. I think you, you be you. You do you, you know? Um, like you wear what you wear. You preach how you preach. You have the style that you have. But you just have that, like, authenticity and connecting with people, you know? Man, I'm vibing on that just because, you know, I listened to a, a sermon by Mervyn Winans. And he, sa he said, don't throw away what God has anointed. Um, and, and there is such, especially if I can say in the black culture, um, you know, we have a history, a heritage, it, just as an example, in choirs. Um, and we went an entire season of dismantling choirs to try and fit uh, a narrative um, that was not uniquely us. Um, and then Kanye comes out. <laughs> and, 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 starts, and, and starts doing choirs. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, choirs are cool. And it's like, right. man, God gave us the choir. Uh, God gave us the B3 Hammond. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I have white friends. I went to a, a church that was literally like, you can't bring the Hammond organ. Like, what will we do with this? You know, and then Kanye puts the Hammond organ up against the piano. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, let's, let's talk about the Hammond organ. It's like, when you're yourself, it will it yeah. will shine through and i thank god that god is raising up a generation that can we can just be us you know i think i think we're all like all all of us on the panel here uh are involved in in uh ministry within a church context and um <clears throat> no matter what your own history is uh, i think we all grow up trying to uh distance ourselves from some of the things that we were raised with to uh but at the same time yeah we got to respect that this is who i am this is where i came from and uh sometimes we're we're very insecure uh about ourselves and and a lot of that revolves around what will other people think um there's a, a passage in uh galatians uh three where Paul says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, 
neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Um, so in light of what Paul is saying here, what are some of the ways do you think that identity politics clarify and or muddy the issue of our oneness in Christ? Because uh, we're really talking about our identity here, aren't we? And, and wanting to um, uh, hold on to our identity and at the same time have our identity appreciated. And, and then Paul says, all of these um, adjectives that describe who you are um, disappear somehow in this oneness with Christ. Um, we know that uh, you know everybody doesn't lose their skin tone, everybody doesn't lose their accent, you don't lose your story, but what are we losing in Christ? How does this identity politic that we see so rampant in culture, um, you know, turn, turn on um, the best intentions of, of the body of Christ? Who's got some thoughts on that one? And maybe we'll, we'll kind of make that our, our parting question and then go to prayer. Yeah. What came to my mind when you were saying that was every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill made low. Yeah. You know, crooked made straight, rough place made plain. When I hear Paul's words, neither Jew nor Gentile, he's saying, Jew, the mountain's coming down. Gentile, the valley's coming up. You know, bond, you know, you're getting elevated, free. You know, we're, we're all being equalized um, because all of those identifiers, you know, female, slave, Gentile, all communicate the other. And so in Christ, we're no longer the other. We have this sense of oneness and this refreshed identity uh, that's rooted in God's image and not our own image. And so I see the beauty of the passage um, in that manner, um, not dismissing the things that make us different, um, but realizing that what makes me different doesn't make me less than. Yeah, it, you know, that's great. Um, because Paul was, was really talking to Peter. Um, yeah. he, he was addressing systemic racism at the top of the church. <laughs> like, this yeah. is the, the apostle. On this rock, I will build my church. Peter has a, a tough history. First of all, Cornelius, you know, that whole conversion in Acts, and then all of a sudden he's, he's not welcoming certain people to the table. And so Paul's address here is not to the Gentiles, it's not to the slaves, it's not to the, fem it's not to the marginalized, it's to the pious Jews who, who make it their point to make people feel unwelcome at this table. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 we're, like, like Kellen said, we're all coming to this equal playing field um, in, in other words, don't allow who you are to devalue the other, to, 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 to make you spiritually elite over them. Don't, don't allow that to, lord, to, to be lorded over them or, or whatever. Um, 
So I, I love that, that Paul here is being incredibly, I love this passage because he's being aggressive. Like he, he says, I opposed him like harshly. Like he is, mm. he's putting up with a, the, the Pope, the, Cap, the Catholics would say, <laughs> you know, like, he's, <laughs> like he's, he's going right to the head. Right. And that's, and I think that is a picture of who we are as Christians that we're always speaking up for injustice, that we're always addressing um, spiritual uh, inaccuracies within the body of Christ, things that don't line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that we're always the, the, the prophetic voice against culture, you know, and that is against the powers, the principalities that be. So, yeah, I Good. think Paul is addressing something powerful here. Yeah, I think, I think too, the... Um idea of you know, you know not neither Jew nor Greek slave or free uh, male nor female I think that um, you can throw our allegiance to our countries into that as well and um, I, I think you know there's so many of us who would identify strongly with I'm an American I'm a Canadian and so much of who we are is bound up in our you know our, our patriotism and I think part of what Paul is trying to communicate as well is that our identity and our allegiance is ultimately to Christ and not even to our country. You know, it comes underneath who we are in Christ. And so I think that part of the key to true unity is that everything in our lives is ultimately surrounded by who we are in Christ. And if we can understand our identity in him, that is what will make us, you know, just like Kellen was saying, is now we're equal, you know, like, um, because there's, there's, like, there's country, there's, there's politics, there's all these things that try to divide us. And, and I think that in America, I don't know how it is in Canada, but like, there's such in who knows why, but there's, there's like, if you're an evangelical Christian, and you're a right wing Republican. And it, and it's like, you know, I just think of that verse where Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have fought for it. It's like, you're trying to somehow marry your politics and your relationship with God. And it's not that, that they don't influence each other, but that ultimately who you are in Christ is the most defining thing about you. Yeah. I just think like in that passage, all so good, but as you're saying, Helen, about the leveled playing field, like, men don't then become women and women don't then like become men. Like right. you stay as you are. Cause that'd the be an ugly woman. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Gentile, right. doesn't become like the right. Greek and the Greek doesn't become like you still are like with all the things and all of the experience and all of the reality that you've lived, like that comes in to the kingdom, right? That's where it's a melting pot and it's not an assimilation right? It's not the ones who already were. Now everyone that's coming in has to become like that or else you're not a part. It's, I see you with all that you are, who you are as you come. And that's why so many of our church slogans are come as you are, because that's how Jesus was, come as you are, uh, because there is purpose in your story and the things that you've lived and your culture and your tradition that have a big piece to do with the beautiful uh, mosaic of his kingdom. So yes, our identity is rooted in Christ. Uh, and that makes us equal. Um, but with that, there's also this beauty that comes with that melting pot, that um, bringing together of it all. 
That's beautiful. Very, that's so good. Well, um, I think a, a very fitting way for us to uh, bring our discussion to a close today is I wanna invite each of the panel uh, to, to pray uh, for uh, our churches and pray for the church at large and uh, pray that, that God would give us the wisdom to be spirit-led activists. You know, that, that the responses that we have, the actions that we take, the relationships that we form, the intentionality of our, uh, our presence in other people's lives, that, that we would be spirit-led. And uh, I mean, that's, that's what the infilling of the spirit was about. It was so that we could be a witness uh, to this, this one who invites us to come as we are. So... Um, I'm just going to ask uh, maybe if um, uh, we'll start with uh, Josh and then uh, Kellen and Nellie uh, and then uh, Chris and I can close out. So uh, Josh, if you'd like to pray, pray first and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll join you with thumbs up and amens. Awesome. God, thank you so much for this conversation and um, for everybody who is watching this right now. Um, you know, we're, we feel locked up in our homes. We're so anxious to get around other people um, and be face to face with people again. But at the same time, God, we just acknowledge your presence with us right now, wherever we're at. And um, God, I just, I just want to pray for those who are watching, who maybe this perspective is, is very new to them, or maybe they've never thought about these things. And now they're coming face to face with some things that um, might need to be altered in their life or changed. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, that you give us grace in the areas where we need to grow, um, that we're all in a journey, we're all in a process, and that you promise to finish the work that you start. So God, thank you for even what you're showing us right now, the things that need to change. Help us to be, um, to be empathetic. Help us to listen. And God, I, I just pray for a better day for, um, for the church, that we would be more and more just showing a picture of you to the world, truly unified, truly um, diverse, um, the commonality that we have in you bringing us together. Um, and God, I pray that you would do an, an incredible work by your spirit. And God, we do even pray against, because uh, we believe there's a spiritual component as well, against racism, against uh, injustice, systems of oppression. We pray that you would crush those. And thank you, God, that you did crush those at the cross. And help us to live in that reality, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all would say amen to that. Uh, yeah. Kellen, would you, uh, would you uh, pray next, please? Yeah. Well, Father God, we thank you that you have given us this gift of technology to bring us together. Um, we thank you, God, for the awesome price that you paid so that we can even come to this table and have these conversations. Lord, we pray the prayer that you prayed in John 17, that they all would be one as I and the Father are one. We pray, Lord God, for oneness in the spirit, we pray, Lord God, for a oneness that connects us at who we are at our core, 
who are image bearers of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would celebrate the things that make us different, not see them as liabilities, but assets to the kingdom. I pray, Father, for every pastor that is leading during this pandemic, God, that you would give them wisdom, give them grace, give them guidance and direction. Lord, not, as, not only as they pastor doing, during coronavirus, but also during this time of oppression and racism that we're faced with. God, give them what to say and how to lead your people, God, who are looking for answers and for direction. I thank you for your promise in the word that says, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Holy Spirit, when we can't find the words, pray through us, pray for us. Lord, I thank you, God, for giving us the language and the words to communicate your will through prayer. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would heal the wound of our country. Lord God, dismantle this demon of racism, God, that is rampant throughout our world. We pray for the persecuted church. We pray, Lord God, for black men and women. We pray for people of color. Pray for the poor, the marginalized. Lord God, we thank you what is upon us to bring liberty to captives, no matter who they are, no matter where they are. We bless you for these gifts. We say yes and amen. Amen to that. Amen. Nelly. Yeah, Lord, we just come before you and we thank you uh, that these conversations are happening. Thank you that um, your people are being available uh, to open their ears and to open their mouths and to, to talk, God, to, to speak about their experiences, the realities that they've lived, God, the life that you have blessed them with, um, and for you to be able to use the things that they've gone through uh, for your glory and for your kingdom. God, I just, I thank you. Uh, it's really cool how um, right now in this conversation that we were having, you've bridged together uh, Michigan and Ontario. Uh, we live in the middle of a bridge uh, that joins the two countries, God, and I pray that um, there would be more bridges that are built like that, um, bridging your heart and your kingdom to this world. Uh, God, can we just be a, a part of that? Can, can we play our part in that? God, would you give us the wisdom to, uh, would you give us the peace um, that is necessary to remain calm, to remain humble in these conversations as we learn and we listen twice before we speak. Thank you, God. Lord, if uh, this conversation were not being recorded and uh, only ones that participated in it were the five of us, Lord, it would be so, so valuable just to have that experience of being together and having this conversation and, and leaning into uh, the one that we love so much. And, and so I pray, Lord, that uh, as uh, this conversation does get heard, that, Lord, you would uh, help us as, as your people, Lord, to live maturely and humbly. Lord, help us not to think of ourselves more highly than we should, and help us not to think of ourselves more lowly than we should, but, but to have a sober mind towards who we are in you, 
And Lord, we declare that the highest identity that we all share in is that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And uh, you have uh, many beautiful children in the world, Lord. And uh, help us to, to show great esteem and great love to all of our brothers and sisters. And uh, Lord, the things that so often divide us, uh, the, the cultural differences, the, the things that we don't understand, and so sometimes we make fun or, or we do, are dismissive of, would you help us, Lord, to be people who are uh, filled with the gentleness of Jesus? And uh, like uh, the mention earlier of the, the, the lost sheep, Lord, help us to have your heart. And uh, when we hear of people that are uh, struggling, people that are oppressed, people that um, are uh, left outside the room, uh, help us to have the heart of Jesus to, to go to them. Uh, and uh, you've given us this beautiful gift of reconciliation. We pray that you'll help us to live up to the implications of that. And I thank you for uh, Josh, for Chris, for Kellen, for Nellie, and uh, just the deposit of your Holy Spirit that's in each of them and the wisdom um, that they've shared. And uh, we're, uh, we're one in that spirit. We're one in the spirit of Jesus, one in the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that. And uh, now I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Chris to, to pray us out. So God, uh, yeah, just thanks for this time of sharing. Uh, Father, we pray for healing um, for our nation. We pray for healing for the United States of America. Uh, Father, um, where there is racial divide, where there is hatred, um, where there is marginalization, God, where there is injustice, Father, we pray um, that your kingdom, uh, we, 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 we sit in this tension between the already and the not yet. Um, but Father, we pray that your kingdom would break through in power. Father, that we would participate in what you're, with what you are doing in this world and that we would be agents, Father, that we would be ambassadors of, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would begin with us. Father, change our hearts. Soften our hearts, God. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would link our heart to yours. God, let us love what you love. Let us let our heart ache when your heart aches, God. Let, it, let our heart mourn when your heart mourns, Father. Let us rejoice with what you rejoice in. Father, we pray that you would, that you would change us, Father, from the inside. Search our hearts, as the psalmist says, uh, and see if there be any grievous way within us. And we join in with David that said, create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us. So change our posture towards one another. And Father, we pray that that would... That, that would start rapid healing. Your word declares that there is a bomb in Gilead, a bomb that soothes. So we pray, oh God, that our, our words, that our actions, that our behavior would be soothing towards one another. Father, we pray, oh God, that there would be, that you would, that you would break faction, that you would break a dysfunction and division in the body of Christ, and that we would be able to come together, Father, even if we disagree, uh, to be able to stand together uh, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We thank you and believing you for miracles. Father, we're, we're believing you for healing in this nation. Uh, we're believing you to do the impossible, God. Change our hearts towards you. And Father, we just say that we repent of anything that we've done, Father. Any time that we have been in a, in a position to do something, we haven't done it. Any time that uh, we have turned a blind eye, God, 
anytime that we have um, agreed to injustice in any kind of way, God, forgive us and teach us to do things according to your will. God, I pray for these pastors, for these leaders that are on this call, that you continue to protect each and one of them. I pray for their ministries, that they will continue to grow and blossom and reflect your character. We just love you. We thank you. We appreciate you. And we honor you, God, for being able to have this conversation. We pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 That prayer Amen. was so good. It tilted my it tilted my computer. Oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Man, love you guys. Like this was Hey, love you too, man. So, so good. good. Yeah. So, really good. You know, we got to get some coffee when uh when the borders open up. Yeah. I, know. yeah. I like I don't I don't know how you feel, Kellen. I feel like our cities are like really connected you know i mean they, they really like literally are connected yeah, yeah totally but, like i feel like detroit and windsor have this like relationship that's just really really special and uh yeah i'm excited to see that continue when the borders open up yeah yeah windsor's so unique because it's so americanized you yeah. know like yeah. I, i've lived in the north and i've lived in calgary and it's it's not anything like this so we mm. we, we really feel like we're we're connected to you guys in a profound way so for sure, for yeah, sure. Indeed. Well, I'm so glad I got to be a part of that conversation. Do you know that most of us in uh, this talk are Pentecostals? And it's fascinating to think about the Pentecostal revival that began on Azusa Street in Los Angeles from 1906 to 1915. Pastor William Seymour was a one-eyed black man that had suffered a life of humiliating racism and oppression in the world around him and in the church. And yet his cry was not for vengeance, but for God's spirit to be poured out on all flesh. That's what the good book prophesied would happen in the last days. And just like that first upper room outpouring in the book of Acts, multiple nations were unified by the spirit. There was a supernatural ability to talk in a life-giving way to all nations at Pentecost and a coming together of multiple nationalities at Azusa Street. You know, it, it intrigues me that uh, this was uh, 50 years prior to the civil rights marches and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. No doubt some of the cry for reconciliation came from the Pentecostal revival. And as Pentecostals, I hope that we never forget our roots and that we also have that cry that all nations uh, would be one in the Lord and that uh, the barriers would be removed. As we ponder the answer to racial tensions, let's be a lot more like William Seymour and pray that God would have his way with us. The cry for justice on the sidewalk is the angry cry of the oppressed. God hears that cry. Do you? Let's look at our own city and be looking and praying for every opportunity to build a bridge of reconciliation. I want to close today with the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring forgiveness. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, 
let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O oh, Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. It is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Well, amen to that. Hey, our next episode is going to feature an interview with Kevin Makins, founding pastor of Eucharist Church in downtown Hamilton. And I just read his uh, newly released book, just came out this year, entitled, Why Would Anyone Go to Church? Uh, Kevin's a, a great storyteller, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing some of his experiences in, and insights living as an urban Christ follower in downtown Hamilton. That's coming on August 1st. Well, until then, I'm still Kevin Rogers, and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcasts.